Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning as we continue looking through the book of Genesis, the first chapters of Genesis. This morning will be in chapter 4. And uh, let's pray and ask for God's blessing this morning. Father, as we come before you, may we recognize your incredible power, your great might in all of this universe, Lord, that you are the creator and the sustainer. And Lord, as you desire to have relationship with us, I pray that you would help us to recognize the importance of relationship with you. And Lord, we will give you the glory for what you will do, and Lord, the power of your word, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, again, in Genesis chapter 4, looking at the story of Cain and Abel. Now, how many of you have siblings? All right, now there's a few that may not, that uh, single child or only child, but uh, for most of us, we have siblings. I have one brother, he's four and a half years older than me, and I had one responsibility in the house, and that's to teach my brother patience. And I felt I did a pretty good job of teaching it to him. He didn't always succeed in uh, being patient, but I worked with him on it quite a bit. And uh, it was sort of painful those times where he didn't succeed in his patience. But siblings, we talk about sibling rivalry. This morning, we're going to be looking at the first and probably the most famous sibling rivalry in history. And we like to use the term sibling, sibling rivalry because it sounds not too bad. Uh, but it can be bad, and in the story of Cain and Abel, it was very bad. Genesis 4 occurred not too long after sin was introduced into the world, and, and this story shows the powerful consequence of sin in our world and in our relationships. Cain and Abel, two brothers, sons of Adam and Eve. And the issue began with their sacrifices that were offered to God. God approved Abel's sacrifice. He rejected Cain's. So let's look at Abel first. What about Abel? Genesis 4.4 tells us, Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. He gave the first and the best. We find out a little more about Abel's sacrifice in Hebrews chapter 11 because we don't find out a whole lot about it in Genesis 4. But in Hebrews 11 verse 4, Abel is listed in the hall of faith. Now think about that. We, we don't hear a lot about Abel in, in Genesis. In fact, his name means breath and the idea of brevity. His life was cut short early. But it's amazing that he was chosen on a very short list of those Old Testament saints that were included in this faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. The hall of faith, some call it. Notice what it says in Hebrews 11.4. It says, By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he, being dead, still speaks. Abel offered a sacrifice that was righteous. 
a sacrifice that God accepted. He offered a sacrifice of faith. His worship was acceptable to God. He offered the firstborn of his flock, of the fat of the lamb. It was his best, and it was his first, the firstborn. We speak of the first fruits. If you go a little further on into the Jewish sacrificial system, you'll see that, that those sacrifices demonstrated their faith, but there were different requirements in the sacrifices. And, and one of the sacrifices was the sacrifice of the first fruits. It emphasized giving God our best and the first. And so as the Israelite sacrificial system was incorporated, it was important that they chose when they sacrificed the lamb, it was to be without blemish. It was to be the best. And, and when they offered a sacrifice of the first fruits, and they would have different offerings, they would have offerings like grain offerings and, and other types of offerings. But say when they did a grain offering and it was an offering of the first fruits, it was the first part of the crop that came in. And that first part of the crop that came in, there was no guarantee that the rest of the crop would come, but they gave God the first. And it was trusting that God would provide for them. And it was a step of faith. Now, unfortunately, oftentimes we look at our sacrifices to God. Now, we don't have the Israelite sacrificial system and the altar in our backyard, but we still give ourselves to God. Our sacrifice can be the leftovers. God, yeah, I'm sort of busy this month, but if there's anything left at the end, I'll go ahead and give you a little bit. My calendar's pretty full, but, but God, it's okay, you know, maybe there'll be a time where I can help somebody else, you know, do something for my neighbor. If I have time, we'll see. God wants our first fruit. And we need to trust him for all we have and give him our first and our best. But oftentimes we desire to just give him the leftovers. But that's not what God asked for. And that's why Abel's sacrifice was an excellent sacrifice. And he was considered, as Hebrews 11.4 says, righteous before God. But what about Cain and his sacrifice? Now Cain's sacrifice was different from Abel's. It was different in what he gave, but it was also different in his attitude in giving. Notice Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. We already read verse 4, but 3 and 5 sort of surround that, talking about 
there, both of them giving the sacrifice, and then Cain's in verse 5. It says, And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. And now we go to verse 5, which says, But he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Now, one of the questions that is asked about Cain's sacrifice was, what was the problem with his sacrifice? Why did God not accept Cain's while he accepted Abel's? And one of the natural thoughts is, well, it was a different sacrifice. It was not a blood sacrifice while Abel's was. Now, there are people that are a lot smarter than me that debate if the issue was the fact that it wasn't an animal. And in Genesis 4, it doesn't specifically define that. Now, we already know that animals were sacrificed. We saw back in chapter 3. If you remember the story of Adam and Eve that we looked at last week when they chose to disobey God and to sin. And what did God do? God killed an animal and provided clothing for Adam and Eve. That animal was a sacrifice to cover them. And if you read verses 1 and 2 of Genesis chapter 4, it, it seems to indicate that there was a, a pretty good chance that the regular sacrifices were taking place. And it sure could have been that part of Cain's problem was he didn't obey God in what the sacrifice was. But I don't believe we can know that for sure. But we can know for sure that Cain had a horrible attitude and a half-hearted effort in his sacrifice. It says that, that, that Abel gave the firstborn of the fat of the lamb and Cain gave some of his fruit, some of his produce, whatever he had grown. Not necessarily the best. He wanted to give his sacrifice on his terms. And he was angry with God when God did not accept it. Now, we, we can suppose some things. If it was required to be the animal sacrifice, Cain may have just been tired of having to go to Abel because Abel was the one who kept the sheep and Cain was the one who, who tilled the ground, as it says in verses 1 and 2. And maybe that Cain was like, oh boy, you know, I got to go to little brother and get another animal. Maybe Abel charged him. We don't know. But we do know whatever the situation he wanted to come to God on his terms. He wanted to do things his way. And he didn't necessarily give God his best. So God didn't accept his sacrifice. What about his sin? Genesis 4.8, the sin that we think about, but we're going to find there's a lot more to Cain's sin than just killing his brother, which was pretty big in itself. But notice what it says in verse 8. It says, Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass while they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. 
Now, the murder of Abel was in a sense a culmination of a group of sins that Cain committed. He desired to give his sacrifice on his terms. And when God didn't accept it, he became angry. Now, his sacrifice was his worship. When they would sacrifice in the Old Testament, it was part of obedience. It was a picture of God's ultimate sacrifice for us, but it was also their worship of God. And so Cain's worship lacked. He also struggled with jealousy. We see that he was angry that God accepted Abel's sacrifice and rejected his. He struggled with selfishness. It was all about him. Again, he wanted to sacrifice on his terms. He wanted to be accepted. And his anger was based upon his selfishness. What is anger? Well, if you look, you'll find lots of different definitions of anger, but it basically comes to this. Anger is perceived injustice. Let's say you do something to me and I get angry. It's because what you did to me, I didn't feel that was fair or right. I perceived it as injustice. We get angry about lots of things. And you say, well, the Bible talks about righteous anger. What's the difference between righteous anger and unrighteous anger? Ephesians chapter 4 says, don't let the sun go down when you're angry. Seems to accept that there's going to be times when you're angry. When Jesus was in, in the New Testament, the Gospels, when Jesus went into the temple and, and overturned the tables of the money changers, people say, whoa. He's angry. Now, we know when Jesus turned over the money tables, he didn't sin. He was a sinless son of God. What's the difference between righteous and unrighteous anger? Righteous anger is when I'm angry at something that is done against God, his word, or others who are being mistreated. Unrighteous anger, and I'm making a very broad statement here. Please bear with me. Unrighteous anger is when I feel I've been hurt and I want justice. I want revenge. I want to have my own pity party. It's all about me. And that's what happened with Cain. He didn't want to be rejected. He didn't want Abel to get the trophy and him to finish in second and last place. It was all about Cain. His selfishness and his pride controlled him, and his anger caused him to kill his brother. His anger controlled him. If you go about 40 chapters later, a little less than 40 chapters later, beginning in chapter 37, we're introduced to a young man named Joseph and his brothers. And over the next 
14 chapters, we see their story. And here's what happened with Joseph and his brothers. Now, this is not the Joseph that was the husband of Mary in the New Testament. This is Old Testament Joseph, the son of Jacob, who was the great, he was the great-grandson of Abraham, and then Isaac was his grandfather, Jacob was his dad, and Joseph. And what happened was, was Joseph was his father's favorite, which, by the way, was a sin on Jacob's part. But Joseph's brothers became angry with Joseph, and they allowed that anger to control them. And it led to bitterness. And it came to the point when opportunity presented itself that they were going to kill their little brother Joe. But then they thought, we're going to do something that's even worse than that. We're going to sell him into slavery. And so he will live a miserable, we hope a long, miserable life as a slave. Why did they do that rather than murder him? Because they thought that was worse than a quick murder. But they allowed their anger to control them. And it was unrighteous anger. But isn't it interesting what God calls us to do? God calls us to do the opposite. God calls us to forgive. And why is forgiveness so difficult? Forgiveness is difficult because I have to put aside my rights, whether real or perceived, to give forgiveness. And what that person may have done to you could be very real and very painful. But when I forgive, I'm saying, okay, I'm going to step back from what I believe is justice to give mercy and to demonstrate grace. But we have a hard time because we want justice. Now, Cain's story, his sin was the fact that he was focused on himself. He wanted to do it his way, his plan, his terms. And when God said no, Cain became angry. Now, what was Cain's response? His response to God his response to Abel's sacrifice being accepted. Obviously, we know his response to Abel's sacrifice being accepted. He became angry with Abel, and he killed him. But what about his response to God? Look in verses 6 and 7. It says this, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, you will, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but, but you should rule over it. Now, often we may, we may want to think that, that God was harsh with Cain. I mean, come on. He, he was trying. 
he gave what he had worked hard to produce. Couldn't have God just said, Cain, you know, I'm, I'm going to grade on a curve today, and I, I'll, I'll let you get by. And we get this picture that, that God was unbending and cruel. But you know, we find out throughout this story, we see God's amazing grace. We saw it there in verses 6 and 7 that we just read. God gave Cain a second chance. A do-over, if you will. And he also gave him a warning. He gave him a second chance. He said, Cain, don't you know if you, if you do right that it'll be accepted? But he gave him a warning, too, because he cared about him. He said, sin is crouching at the door. Be ready. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 tells us that the devil is a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. And God was telling Cain, listen, if you give Satan that foothold, it's going to destroy you. Sin is crouching at the door. But you can do what's right. And so God desired that Cain repent. And he gave him the opening in his grace to change direction. But instead of changing direction, in verse 8, we find that Cain went and killed Abel, killed his brother. His response was not to listen to God. His response was not to take the second chance that God provided. His response was not to repent. It was to kill Abel. So we saw in verse 8 that he kills Abel. And then notice he and God continue to converse in verses 9 through 16. Obviously there's a gap. And in that gap, we don't know how long it was. Cain was looking for the opportunity and found the opportunity, probably lied to Abel to get him to come out to the field with him, whatever. Again, we don't know the exact circumstances. But got to the place where they were alone and he could kill Abel. And he chose to do that. He planned and followed through. But then we see the next conversation recorded between God and Abel. Or excuse me, God and Cain. It says, then the Lord said to Cain, verses 9 through 16, then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And again, just like last week. God didn't ask the question because he didn't know the answer. Last week, remember Genesis chapter 3, when God went out to look for Adam and Eve and asked them what was going on. It wasn't that he didn't know. It was that he was giving them an opportunity to repent, giving them an opportunity to change directions and to ask forgiveness. So we see the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He, Cain said, I do not know. Okay? Probably lied to Abel, now he's lying to God. 
Am I my brother's keeper? Probably the most famous line in this whole narrative. And he, God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you fill, or when you till, excuse me, the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is too great, that is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Cain's response showed his heart. When God asked the question, Cain, where is Abel? It gave Cain the opportunity to repent, but instead of repenting, Cain responded with lies and anger. Cain also didn't demonstrate any responsibility. His famous line after the lie, I don't know where Abel's at, his line, am I my brother's keeper, showed a lack of of responsibility in his life. Now I want you to think about this. Cain is an older brother, should have been an example and a protector of his younger brother. But instead, he was focused on Cain and Cain alone. That, that response, am I my brother's keeper? I don't know if my brother used it sometimes, maybe with my mom and dad. I don't know, mom and dad. I don't know where John is. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain was just focused on himself. It was all about Cain. And I want us to think about this. The, the, theme of our series is foundations and we have looked from the creation in Genesis chapter 1, marriage in Genesis chapter 2, the incorporation or in the, how sin came into the world in chapter 3 and God's hope through Jesus Christ and in sending Christ and the promise of that found in Genesis 3.15, the foundation of the hope of salvation. But what's the foundational part here? We, we've been talking about this word or this phrase, biblical worldview. What's it mean? Here's how it comes into play in Genesis chapter 4. Cain wanted to deal with everything on his terms. He wanted to set the rules. Yeah, I mean, obviously he believed in God. He made a sacrifice. But it was in his terms, his plan his time frame. Everything was according to Cain. And that's the same struggle that people have today, just like they had then. We say, okay, God, yeah, we can have some relationship, but it's on my terms. My time frame, 
my rules. And we struggle when we find that Scripture says that God set up the terms. God set up the rules. And then it's hard when we say we can't handle it ourselves. We can't earn righteousness. We can't earn heaven. God is the only one that can provide the payment for the sins we've committed. And he is the only one that can give hope. And eternal life is in him and him alone through the sacrifice of his son. If you're here this morning or if you're watching online and you say, you know, John, I'm a pretty good person. I, I try to go to church, and I'm glad you're here this morning. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm working hard. God says that's not going to be enough. Cain wanted to come to God on his terms. But God is the creator and the sustainer of the universe, is the only one who can set the rules. And the hardest thing about trusting Christ is admitting that you can't do it yourself, that you've got to rely on him. He is the only one. And Cain could not understand that. Cain's universe circled around Cain instead of God. It was demonstrated in the sacrifice he gave, and it was demonstrated in the response to God. And verse 16 is such a sad verse. It says that Cain left the presence of God and dwelt in the land of Nod to the east of Eden. God gave Cain grace and mercy. He offered him hope. But Cain chose his own plan. Even in verses 9 through 16, when, when God gave the punishment to Cain about tilling the ground and, and the misery that Cain was going to have, his grace and his love were demonstrated then. Cain didn't get what he deserved for murdering his brother. Yeah, he was punished, but not to the extent he should have been according to the rules that God gave grace. And what did Cain do? He responded by saying, this doesn't seem fair. The first person that sees me is going to kill me because of what I've done. So what did God do? God said, all right, I'm going to put a mark on you so no one will kill you, Cain. He showed more grace, more love, more mercy. And how did Cain respond? He left. We need to understand a true picture of who God is. 
God is a just, a holy, a righteous God. But God is also a God of love and mercy. Second Timothy and many other passages talk about how God desires that man come to repentance. And he is there with arms open wide, desiring to forgive. The picture in the story of the prodigal son is a picture of God's love toward us while his son turned his back on the father in the story and, and went out and lived a rebellious life when he finally came to that lowest point where he turned around and said, yes, I need my father. His father was there with open arms. And if you're here this morning, if you're watching online and you've been running from God, God desires to forgive and to have restored relationship with you. And for each and every one of us who has come to that point where we've prayed, we've asked Jesus Christ to forgive our sins, to be our Savior, our sins have been forgiven, but as we're living our life, what's our worship like? Would we be listed with Abel in Hebrews 11? Our worship Although we are imperfect, sinful people, our worship desires to give God the first and the best. Or are we just giving God the scraps? God, if I've got time, I'll go ahead, but if not, maybe next month. God desires relationship with us. And the creator of the universe cares about you cares about me and because of that he sent his son Jesus Christ and we celebrate that in communion a reminder of what Jesus Christ did and and Jezer's going to be coming now to share about or lead us in communion but the Bible gives two steps of obedience one is communion, as we regularly remember what he has done. Another is baptism. And baptism is where a person publicly identifies with Christ. It's a picture of Christ dying for us and rising again as a person is put into the water and brought back out. But it's a testimony to let others know and to celebrate with that person that has trusted Christ. Next Sunday, we're having baptisms. If you have never been baptized, it's a step of obedience that I encourage you to take. And We desire to celebrate with you, no matter if you were saved a long time ago or today. We want to celebrate with you. So I encourage you, if you've never been baptized, to come and talk to one of the pastors. We'd love to talk with you and as we have that celebration next week, we'd love to have you take part in that in stepping out in obedience and being baptized. Let's pray and ask for God's hand and blessing. Father, we're so amazed that as Almighty God, as creator of the universe, you care about us. Lord, you cared about Cain and Abel. You care about them. And even when Cain turned his back on you, your love and grace were still there. Lord, I thank you that you love us to the extent that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. 
and that we can have forgiveness of sins and we can have eternal life because of that sacrifice. And Lord, I pray that you would help us today to recognize that. And Lord, for each one of us, that our worship of you would be worship desiring to give you our best and our first. And we will praise you in Jesus' name.